0: And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4. As you're finding that, I want to kind of circle back just for a second reiterate what Philip said on the video announcement just a few minutes ago about the need in our preschool department. There's a little card you can grab and fill out if you're interested in serving. I know a lot of people think of preschool ministry as babysitting. We'll go downstairs and babysit. Uh, We'll kind of monitor the kids and make sure they're okay. And then when they get to a certain age, you know, 10 or 12, when they can understand things and they're old enough, then we'll start teaching and training them about the things of the Lord. That could not be farther from the truth. I went back and read some research this week by George Barna. If you've never heard of George Barna, you should look him up. He does a lot of research and has done research over the last many years on spiritual development. Here's what George Barna says about children. He said a person's moral foundations. Now listen to this. A person's moral foundations are generally in place by the time they reach age nine. While those foundations are refined and the application of those foundations may shift to some extent as individual ages, their fundamental perspective... On truth, integrity, justice, morality, and ethics are formed quite early in life. After their first decade, most people simply refine their views as they age without a wholesale change in those leanings. So the idea is. The kids that are in our preschool department, we're not babysitting them. We're forming them spiritually. It's a really, really big deal. So I would encourage you to be involved uh, as our church is kind of ramping back up and getting back to normal as far as numbers of people. A lot of our young families are coming back. A lot of our young children are coming back. The more children we have, the more workers we need. So you pray about serving in our preschool department. Phil would love to talk to you. You Go out to Connect Desk this afternoon or reach out this week to the church. Office. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4. Now we are in this fifth week of our sermon series that we've entitled Happily Ever After. We're working through different parts of Scripture, thinking about marriage. How can we strengthen it? How can it be better? How can we find joy? How can we find hope? And I've said this every week, and I want to continue to say it. So if you're at home watching, by the way, welcome. If you're in the overflow, welcome. We're glad you're with us. Or if you're live with us right now, I've said this every week. It doesn't really matter where your marriage is. It doesn't matter what you've struggled with in the past. It doesn't matter what struggles you're going through now. Through Christ, there is absolute hope in marriage. And I want you to hear that. I want you to believe that it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter the baggage. Through Christ, there is hope. Your marriage can be strong it can be happy, it can be fulfilling, you can find joy. So we've been working through the Bible, working through different passages of Scripture, trying to apply these truths and figure out very practically how we can live in our lives. So we've kind of given you four levels. I've talked about these each week. Level one is just you showing up for the sermon. You can kind of take whatever you get from the sermon, maybe apply it to your life. If that's all you want to do, that's all you have to do. If you're looking for a little more, level two, kind of a little below that is homework. Every week, we've assigned some homework for you. We've kind of talked about how that's going to help you. We've given you the opportunity to do that. A lot of you have done the homework. Some of you have joked with me, we're a little behind on the homework. That's okay, you can catch up. We'll give you some more homework today if you want to do that. Level three is online marriage assessment. You say, I need a little bit more than just a sermon and the homework. I'd like to really talk to somebody and really kind of delve in a little bit more to my marriage. You can go to rosemontchurch.org. You can do this from home as well, rosemontchurch.org click on marriage assessment it'll give you some information and then a staff member will reach out to you help you understand kind of the details and eventually you and your spouse can sit down with a staff member work through very specific parts of your marriage level four is if you still need some assistance we've got licensed marriage counseling that we'd love to plug you in with let you talk with that person help you better understand what's going on in your marriage now we've been working through for about four weeks we've had a lot of interesting discussion I've, I've enjoyed talking to a lot lot of people about their experience, what's going on in their home. But I know when you get through kind of four weeks of, of marriage sermons, it brings up interesting discussions. It probably brings up interesting debates. Maybe you even had some disagreements because of what you're learning. That's okay, because this morning we're going to talk about conflict resolution, like how do you manage conflict in the marriage? Now, before we get into the text, I want to make a, a fundamental truth very clear to you struggles in marriage conflict in marriage is normal it's going to happen like if you think you're going to live your marriage and never disagree on anything you are sorely mistaken right conflict in marriage is a normal thing it's going to happen the question is not if conflict is going to happen the question is what are we going to do when it does happen How are we going to manage it? How are we going to take the truths of Scripture and try to live them out in our lives? I think it's interesting if you go all the way back to the very beginning... You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. God had created the world. Everything was good. He had placed Adam and Eve in this perfect environment in the Garden of Eden. And he said to them, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Right? So God says, listen, you can eat from all of these trees, enjoy all of this creation, but if there's one tree you can't eat, what did Adam and Eve do? They ate from that one tree, right? Just like telling your kids, do not, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't look at the screen behind me. Everybody's going to look at the screen behind me, right? That's what people do. Don't eat of the tree. Adam and Eve, eat of the tree. And then God comes in, and this is what's fascinating to me. He comes and he says, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now, Now watch what happens here. The man said, the woman who you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate, right? So they're already arguing, already in the beginning, there's already conflict, they're blaming one another. Conflict from the beginning has been a part of relationships. So again, just to be clear, if you come this morning, you're listening from home, you're in the midst of a conflict, you're trying to work through conflict, it's okay, let's just figure out how we can apply biblical principles to our lives to work through this conflict, Okay? Now, we're going to do that using Ephesians 4. Now, Ephesians 4 is not written specifically to a married couple. In fact, it's written to the church and to believers at large. But as we've said already in this sermon series, any passage of Scripture we can apply to marriage. So we're going to take Ephesians 4 and apply it to our marriages beginning in verse 25. We have it on the screen for you as well. Therefore, these are the words of Paul. Let only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave. You. Now, there's a lot in there we could talk about. A lot of that, well, all of that applies to our Christian relationships, how we interact, interact with each other, but it also applies to our marriages. So as we think through our marriages as we think through interacting with our spouse, as we think through dealing with conflict, we're going to pull some truth out of this text and see if we can make our marriages stronger because of it, all right? Truth number one, as we deal with struggle, as we deal with conflict, as we deal with arguments, number one, we should speak the truth, okay? No matter what you're going through, no matter what struggle you're having, no matter what your argument looks like, you need to begin here. This is foundational. If you can't be honest and tell the truth, you're going to have a lot of problems. Now, Jesus is our example here, right, as he is in all things. But when we think about truth, we think about Jesus because John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Right, Because of what Jesus has done, because of his forgiveness, because he is absolute truth, we should live in truth and honesty in our marriages. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 25. I want you to see it. So pull verse 25 up again for me, please. And let's just look at that together. Paul says, therefore, having put away falsehood. Now remember, if we're Christians, we have come to this place in our lives where we have made this decision to follow Christ. And that decision to follow Christ means that we have set aside the old way, we have put away the falsehoods, the way we used to live, the way we used to think, right? There's this very definitive line in our life, before Christ, we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, and then after that, everything is different. So Paul is talking to us as believers, and he says, listen, we put away falsehood. We've done away with that. We're no longer going to lie. We're no longer going to be dishonest. We're going to tell the truth. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for remembers of one another. We all know that honesty and truth are huge parts of marriage. How many conflicts have started because of a lack of honesty or lack of truth? How many disagreements are caused because somebody's not honest, because somebody's not telling the truth? You can't build a strong marriage without honesty and truth. So I'm going to give you just kind of three areas we can kind of think through that we ought to be honest in. This is not an exhaustive list. These are just a few of the things you should think about and ways you can be honest. You should, first of all, be honest in the way that you feel with your spouse. You should tell your husband or your wife how you feel this is how I feel, this is what I'm thinking, this is my opinion, these are my hopes, these are my dreams. Sometimes we have this tendency of kind of clamming up and not speaking, not sharing how we feel. Our spouse, of all people, needs to know what we're thinking and what we're feeling. We should be honest about our feelings. We should also be honest about our actions, right? You should tell the truth about where you go, about what you're doing, about who you're talking to, all those things are free discussion within a marriage. Right, there should never be this time where, men, you don't want your wife to know you went somewhere. There should never be this time, ladies, where you don't want your husband to know you went somewhere or you talked to somebody. We need to be open and honest with our actions. This next one is very uh, applicable to our current society and the world we live in, and it's going to be difficult for some of you, but you need to hear it. We need to be honest about social media and the internet. Let me just say that again. We need to be honest about social media and the internet. I've been reading a lot of uh, commentaries and a lot of Christian counselors, but I've also been reading non-Christian secular counselors because I wanted to see kind of their opinion on marriage as well. And I found some interesting stats when I did that. One marriage counselor said that 90%, 90% of the affairs that this counselor deals with started through a Facebook connection. 90 percent, right? We start by finding an old flame, somebody we knew in high school or college. We reach out to them innocently. How are you doing? We start messaging. Then we start private messaging. Before long, we've decided to meet for a, an innocent breakfast or lunch. One thing leads to another. We know how the story goes, right? We need to be honest with our social media. Now, I'm going to say something's going to cause some dispute and anger and upset, and you're going to argue and I hope you don't, but I feel like you probably will, because this is a tough one. I'm going to say it, though, because you need to hear it. Your spouse should have complete access to all your devices, 100%. Your spouse should know your passwords. Your spouse should know all of your social media accounts. I'm not talking about somebody trying to snoop, and we're trying to go behind backs and try to, try to figure out what's going on. But you should allow your wife at any point, men or women, you should allow your husband at any point to examine what you're doing online. That includes your phones. That includes your browser. You should give your wife the passwords to your phone. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. My wife has the password to my phone. I don't even know it. That's the truth. I don't want to know it. And when I say she's got the password, I mean there are certain things locked down on my phone that I can't open. And it's not because she made me do it. It's because I asked her to do it because I'm a man just like you are, guys, and I understand the temptation, and I don't want that temptation available to me. And so literally, this is the absolute truth. You can ask her. There are times we have to do things on my phone. I'll hand her the phone. I'll say, honey, you need to unlock my phone for me so I can change these things. It's a big deal. It's a big deal, the world we live in. I'm not saying you have to do it that way. I'm just saying you need to be upfront and honest and open. If we're gonna talk about honesty, if we're gonna talk about speaking the truth, it also includes online stuff. We need to be aware of that, right? So if you're gonna work through any sort of disagreement, Any sort of debate, any sort of argument, it starts with this idea of honesty, truthfulness, integrity. I'm not saying people don't make mistakes. I'm not saying they're not failures we need to work through. But we need to do the best we can in all situations to be honest. Okay, let's start there. That's foundational for us. Now look at verse 26. Let's continue this thought process. Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry and do not sin. We'll come back to that in just a minute. That's an interesting phrase. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so they may have something to share with anyone in need. So as we walk through disagreements, as we walk through disputes and arguments, truth one, we're going to tell the truth. We're going to be honest. Truth number two, we're going to do the best we can to settle our disputes quickly, we want to settle our disputes quickly, right? Now, I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 26 because it's an interesting phrase here. It's a phrase that sometimes is misunderstood, and we don't think a lot about it. But in verse 26, he says, be angry and do not sin. Well, for us, that's confusing because typically when we get angry, that's when we sin, right? Right? We say things, we we have an attitude, we take certain actions that are driven oftentimes by anger. Paul says we be angry but not sin. What does it mean to be angry and not sin, right? Anger is not a sin when it's directed toward the things that anger God, right? So if you're angry at sin, unrighteousness, abuse, theft, any other sinful activities, that's okay if you're angry at those things. The problem is, and this is the problem, typically we get angry because we don't get what we want. We're not angry at sin or unrighteousness. Typically, we're angry because our spouse didn't do the thing we think he or she should do. We get mad because she didn't treat us a certain way or he didn't treat me a certain way or she didn't say that or she didn't do this or he didn't so on and so forth. We get angry because we don't get the things that we want. And so we need to think through that, right? We need to understand that as we're talking about settling our disputes and as we're talking about figuring out how we need to work through conflict, we need to be willing to not only examine what our spouse is doing, but examine what we're doing as well. Are we angry because of sin in the world and in our lives? Or are we angry because we're not getting what we want? Now, here's a simple little thing you can try. Here's something you can do, a very practical uh, piece of advice as you work through these conflicts and as you think about this idea of being selfish and how oftentimes your anger is driven by your selfishness. Here's something you can try. How about this? Be willing to give up something or to compromise in some way. we're we're real good at fixing problems as long as our spouse changes and does everything she's supposed to do, right, guys? We're real good about fixing arguments as long as our husband changes and does things he's supposed to do, right, ladies? It's very easy for us to see uh, the speck in our spouse's eye and miss the plank in our own eye. That's what Scripture teaches. So we need to be willing to give something up to compromise. Like, what can I give up for the sake of this marriage? What can I sacrifice for the sake of my spouse? One writer said this, In conflict, one must ask, Is this desire something God wants as displayed in his word, or is this my personal preference? That's a great question to ask, by the way. Most conflicts are over selfish preferences, Instead of something that genuinely matters, such as loving God and others, the two greatest commandments, Christian couples should resolve their conflicts by caring more for their spouse's desires than their own. They should humble themselves, even as Christ did. He gave up his comfort and his rights in order to serve us. You want to short circuit any argument, just start sacrificing for your spouse. Just give something up. Just compromise. right? So many people miss that because they're so selfish, myself included, by the way. I'm talking with you, not at you here. We're so selfish, we can't see past what we want. It leads us to argue. If we can just get to this point and say, listen, I'm willing to give this up. (laughs) If it's that big of a deal for you, I'm willing to give this up. For the sake of our marriage, I'm willing to give this up. But I want you to notice what Paul says as he kind of helps us work through this and understand this idea of anger in Ephesians 4. Verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Right? We need to resolve our anger and resolve our problems and disputes quickly. Now, I'm not saying you have to take the letter of the law there. I don't know that it necessarily means by sundown exactly, but I think the heart of what Paul is teaching here is we should resolve these things quickly. It's amazing to me when I talk with couples, sometimes they'll get into dispute, and it'll turn from kind of something small to something a little bit larger, and all of a sudden after two or three days they hadn't talked, and then they just decide for the next week we're just not going to talk. And So they'll go for a week or two never saying a word to one another. They're living in the same house. They're still eating the same food. They're doing all the things they've done before. They're just not talking at all. Let me just be very clear. That's not healthy. That's not right. And so if you find yourself in that place or have found yourself in that place in the past, you need to understand, listen, we need to fix this. We need to work through this. We need to resolve these problems quickly. We don't need to let it fester or linger around. We need to do it quickly. Right? We don't allow, as the scripture says, the devil to get a hold or to get involved or to kind of stick his foot in. Because what the devil wants to do is destroy your marriage. Right? There's nothing the enemy would like more than to take a Christian home, a Christian marriage, and destroy it. That's what he wants. And so if he can get his foot in the door through an argument, right? If he can kind of get his foot in the door, he's going to muscle his way in as much as he can before long he's in your house, And one of the ways we can stop that is by being on the same page, settling these disputes quickly, right? We need to sit down, calmly talk through the problem sooner rather than later. So we've got this foundation of truth. First of all, we're going to be honest with each other. The second thing we're going to do when we have conflicts is we're going to, as quickly as possible, resolve them. We're going to work through them. Now look at verse 29. This is great, great teaching here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. What a great passage of Scripture to memorize. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So the foundation of truth, we're going we're to resolve these disputes quickly. Truth number three, very simply, we're going to be kind. We're going to be kind. Simple yet profound. Now I want you to notice all the ways Paul kind of draws this out beginning in verse 29. There's several phrases he uses. And as we think about arguing, we would probably, if we were honest with ourselves, say that's one of the first things that goes when we argue is my kindness. Because I get mad, I get frustrated, I say things I shouldn't say, I spout things off, My, my countenance changes, my voice changes, the level of my voice changes, my words change. And the last thing I'm typically thinking about when we're arguing is being kind. But I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 29 and how he draws out all these different phrases that'll help us understand what he means here. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such is good for building up. Isn't that amazing? If you could just think in these arguments as we discuss these things, as we argue, dispute, whatever words you want to use, I'm not going to let any corruptible words come out of my mouth, and I'm only going to say things that are going to build you up. Man, you wouldn't argue long, would you? It'd be over pretty fast. If you could just say things that build your spouse up. No bad language, no corruptible things. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away. So when you're angry, when you're bitter, when you've got wrath, when you say things that slander yourself, just set that stuff aside. It's not worth it. I promise you it's not worth it. Right, guys, typically for men, unfortunately, we're the ones that just kind of Hits the most because we yell sometimes or our tone changes and we can speak harshly to our wives. It goes both ways, but sometimes it's men more than women. Men, you need to understand something. First of all, that's not okay. Secondly, you're not going to change your wife's mind by yelling at her. Did you know that? Like news flash, Like your wife, after you scream at her for five minutes, is not going to go, well, now I understand, honey, I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for screaming at me because now I get it and I'm so happy. Thank you. Hug me, honey. Doesn't happen like that, does it? In fact, the opposite happens, right? Yelling feels good for just a few seconds, and then it destroys and damages our marriages. And so, we need to be aware. Let the bitterness and the anger and the wrath just set that stuff aside. Verse thirty-two: Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. One marriage counselor had studied three hundred I think seventy-three couples for twenty-two years. This person studied the same couples for 22 years to see what she could find. She said the one simple thing happy couples do every day is to give each other effective affirmation. And she defines that as offering words, gestures, or acts that show your spouse that he or she is noticed, appreciated, respected, loved, or desired. In other words, let's just be kind to each other. Let's say nice things, let's respect each other. Now, some of you are thinking, but Adam, I just like to win the argument. You know, I mean, I can't help myself. Uh, We get into these discussions. I've just got to win the argument. Listen, I'm going to tell you, you might win the argument, but you're probably going to lose the war, right? You win the battles, you lose the war. Because you're not going to one of these days be separated from your spouse or going through a divorce and think, man, I am so glad I won all those arguments. Man, I feel so good, so happy about that. Nobody ever thinks that, and so sometimes we need to set our pride aside, and we need to say, "Listen, honey, you're right. I'm sorry. You know, what I mean, prideful right now. I want to win this argument, but it's not really worth it. It's not that big of a deal. I want to change the way I'm thinking. I want to change the way I'm talking. I want to be careful with my tone and my words because it matters. I'm just very simply gonna be kind. So we're gonna speak truth. We're gonna be honest." We're going to as best we can resolve our conflict quickly. Number three, we're going to be kind and loving. Now look at verse 31 as we finish this thing out. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Look at verse 32. Be kind to one another. There it is. Tender-hearted, and here it is. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The fourth thing we're gonna do, very simply, we're gonna forgive each other. We're gonna tell the truth. We're gonna resolve our conflict quickly. We're going to be kind to one another. And in the process, we're going to forgive each other. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes as a believer, I think back And I look at my life and I see all the mistakes that I've made and the the sins that I've committed and the the dumb things that I've done, and I think, how in the world could the Lord forgive all that stuff? And sometimes we get caught up in this, don't we? We worry that I've done too many wrong things or I've made too many mistakes or, man, if the people around me knew I did this, they would never accept me. You need to understand a very simple biblical truth. The blood of Christ covers all sins. No exceptions. No exceptions. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, what you've thought, what you've said, there is absolute and complete forgiveness in Christ, no matter what. And so you take that idea, knowing your own heart, knowing the things you've done, knowing the way in which Christ has forgiven you and loved you in the midst of all that sin, and you apply that now to your spouse. If Christ can forgive me for all the things I've done, surely I can forgive my spouse. For what he or she has done. If Christ can forgive me and all the sins that I've committed and all the ways in which I've turned aside from him and set him aside and at times in my life not even cared about him, if he can forgive me and still love me through that, surely I can forgive my spouse and love him or her through that, right? If Jesus can forgive us, we can forgive others. Now, I'm going to give you some homework, right? We've been practical every week. We've given you something to work through and to think through, whether it's writing a letter or listing some things out or going out on a date or whatever it's looked like. We've given you some specific homework each week. So let's kind of pull the homework up so we can see it together. We understand that in marriage, a lot of times, fights, disagreements, whatever, are triggered by certain things right? And so we're going to write down and discuss all the common triggers for arguments in our relationship. We're going to talk about why these triggers cause us or our mate to get angry. All right, so we're going to have these discussions with each other. What are the things that cause you to get angry? What are the things that cause me to get angry? What are the things that we do that we need to work on? For a lot of couples and a lot of things in marriage, it's small things. Maybe it could be simple stuff. Maybe it could be not putting the tube of toothpaste on the, uh, the, the, the toothpaste. That's one of my little pet peeves. And so I'm going to confess something to you. You'll think it's funny. It wasn't funny at the time. I got so upset. This is years ago, by the way, years and years ago. I got so upset that Amy wouldn't put the top on the toothpaste. I got the toothpaste out one day. And with a pair of pliers, I put the top on so tight, nobody could ever get it off again. And so she got the toothpaste out and couldn't get open. I was like, well, man, you should put the top on a little tighter next time. You know, honey, maybe you need to keep the top on the toothpaste. That, by the way, guys, did not lead to a good night for me, right? It didn't turn out well for you. She wasn't happy about that. I had to go get the pliers and open it back up. But it's the silly little things that we do sometimes that cause arguments, right? What are the triggers? What are the things we need to discuss? We're going to sit down now, have this conversation, talk about what makes us angry. Let me just finish with this idea. God wants you to have a strong marriage okay? God desires you to find joy in marriage. God desires for you to find fulfillment in marriage, and there is absolute hope in Christ. If you're honest with your spouse, if you resolve your problems quickly, if you're kind, if you forgive each other, if you put Christ at the center of all things, I promise you, through his power, you can, in your marriage, live happily ever after.